following podcast is not meant for children or for liberals, even though that's pretty much the same thing these days, but that's what we're here for. Somebody's got to keep these brats in line. Anyway, you've been warned. It's the right opinion. These days, our media's either incompetent or malevolent. They don't believe in heaven, but they acting like they haven't sent. Knowing the truth is way harder than telling it. We gotta work harder, gotta be more intelligent. Sometimes we just gotta grab a mic and start yelling shit. We're living in times when it's hard to stay relevant. Be the elephant in the room in a room full of elephants. Be the elephant in the room in a room full of elephants. Boom. 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 Do you miss me yet, people? You know you miss me. People have been talking about how much you freaking miss me, and I don't blame you. Anyway, what's going on, everybody? How are you? I am, of course, Harrison Bergeron. This, of course, is the right opinion. It's been a minute. I've, like, forgotten all my shtick. Like, it's irrelevant. There's obviously bigger, more important things going on in the world Uh, I was going to kind of open sarcastically and be like, well, I mean, not a whole lot's happened since we last spoke, but obviously a lot has happened since I last talked to you fine people or I've posted anything at rightopinionpod.substack.com or for that matter on the podcast itself, the right opinion available at a variety of locations, the rightopinion.podbean.com or um, Stitcher, iTunes, all that good stuff. But most importantly, follow me on the social medias. Twitter's the big one, at RightOpinionPod, but also Instagram and Parler for those of you still over there. Bongino not involved with Parler anymore, so I'm like sort of iffy on the whole thing. I I gave it a whirl, really as a solid to him. The guy's done uh, a lot as far as helping to inform me, which obviously helps inform this show, which in turn hopefully helps to inform you in some way, shape, or form. So there's a lot going on. Like I talked about, I'm going to break everything down into four Pretty major, pretty broad categories. Uh, Afghanistan, uh, abortion, ivermectin, and vaccine mandates. The last two obviously very much kind of coincide with one another being largely under the umbrella of COVID. And my lord, I am so happy that I'm. I, maybe one day we will never talk about COVID again. But uh, at least most of the show isn't about COVID this week. I guess that's some sort of improvement. But... Let's do it. Let's uh, hop right into Afghanistan. So it's hard to imagine that anyone could have done this any worse than Joe Biden did it. But I just kind of want to break down a lot of the inconsistencies and some of the specific, really stupid things that were done by this administration. Um, Let's go back to the big lie about this whole thing, right? There's a big lie here. And that big lie is that Biden was handcuffed by Trump and he, you know, Trump signed a deal and Biden couldn't change it. Well, if that were the case, then we would have pulled out on May 1st, which is what Trump's deal involved. And yeah, let's talk about that, right? Trump made a deal with the Taliban. Um, Not a huge fan of any president ever negotiating with terrorists, but, and not to make excuses for Trump, but in this particular case, the Taliban, while they're not terrorists themselves, they're more of like aiding and abetting terrorists, Nevertheless, they are the opposition force in the war that we were fighting over there. So if you want the war to come to some conclusion that doesn't involve the complete and utter evisceration of your opposition, which personally I'm in favor of, but that's just not how we're allowed to do things for a variety of reasons. But because we don't live in that world where we're able to do that, you do need to come to some conclusion with this war 
And the only way to really do that is to negotiate with your enemy. Again, not a huge fan of the people that we're negotiating with. Don't really trust them a whole lot. But, and this is kind of the big difference, or one of the major differences between the Biden administration and the Trump administration, is that the Taliban do not fear the Biden administration, whereas they were terrified that Donald Trump would, in fact, eviscerate them from existence. They saw what happened to Soleimani. They know Trump doesn't want to drag out the war. Trump doesn't want to put more troops on the ground. So what he's going to do if they cross Trump is they basically are going to be annihilated. Them, the leadership, not their troops, not their camps, them. He's going to target the people that made the decisions because, let's face it, those are the people that deserve to die. They're not worried about Biden doing things like that. And for that matter, Biden is worried similarly to how, very similar to how Trump was worried about the image of putting more troops in, even if it's a temporary thing, even if it was part of the plan. But what ended up happening to the Biden administration is that they tried to not put more troops in because they didn't want a headline of the Biden administration puts more troops in Afghanistan, even if those troops were going in to ultimately pull everybody else out. A strategic maneuver that absolutely no one would be upset about if, in fact, all of the troops were actually out of there, you know, a month later or whatever the case may be. Uh, the Biden administration chose not to send in extra troops to try to extradite all of our military you know, equipment and personnel as well as SVIs. I'm sure you've heard this um, terminology bandied about. It's basically people with special visas that have worked with us. They were either Afghan nationals that were worked as interpreters to, to help us in our fight against the Taliban and, uh, you know, terrorism more broadly, whatever. Um, so the Taliban were not worried about Biden. And as soon as Biden started making any moves and started pulling troops out, they showed it. On top of the fact, let's talk about the actual negotiations. So in addition to the fact that the, that the U.S. was working from a place of strength under Trump because the Taliban were actually afraid of him, um, now the Biden administration negotiated with them and completely changed Trump's plan. So remember, you couldn't change it, even though we did change it because the deadline changed. Like that in and of itself is evidence that you could change it because you did change it. Hence, it was changed and our eyes and our ears aren't completely deceiving us. Mr. President. But so in addition to the deadline change, they also changed the entire mission, basically, probably because they didn't want to put more troops in. And it's possible that a Trump, you know, scenario might have involved putting a few more troops in in order to get everybody out of bunny hop, if you will, right? Like two, one step backwards, two steps forward, that it would have resulted in us being a step forward rather than a step backwards, which is where we ultimately ended up. So the Trump administration was going to evacuate out of Bagram Air Base instead of the Ahmed Karzai Airport in Kabul. Well, what's the big difference there? We had control over both. We were going to consolidate to one to make it easier to just get everybody out. Ahmed Karzai Airport has one runway. Bagram Airport, Airport has a couple of runways, a few, as a matter of fact. So it would have been easier to get planes in and out of Bagram. Bagram is also like an actual military base, not like a commercial airline um, airport like Ahmed Karzai is to, to uh, you know, a certain extent, at least like the closest analog that they have to what we would consider a commercial airport. We have Bagram, which is an actual military base, which we've secured in the mountains and had the ability to secure 
much more easily than in a you know much larger but much less useful essentially commercial airport in the middle of a city. So there was mistake number one. Mistake number two is that the Taliban were willing to work with the U.S. as far as like, look, like whatever you need to do to get the hell out of here, fine. They're smart. They'll just wait it out. They'll wait till we leave and then they'll do whatever they were going to do, which is what they were going to do anyway. Personally, I think the Trump administration might have had a contingency plan for even that, that they would have made some sort of advance or I like to call the Wiley Coyote uh, theory is that we would have left all of this military equipment there, but like rigged it to blow. So as soon as any of the Taliban got their hands on it, we would just basically eviscerate all of them. Uh, maybe the Biden administration has this up their sleeve. And if they do, I will stand corrected. Um, but so in addition to choosing the more difficult airport to evacuate people from, the Taliban said, all right, do you want to secure the airport? Or do you want us to handle securing the airport? Meaning securing the airport from them and other terrorist cells like ISIS-K, which has now popped up, um, and uh, and Al-Qaeda and a variety of other smaller terrorist organizations, I guess, the, the, the B-list terrorist organizations over in Afghanistan. So the Biden administration, because they decided to do this the worst possible way, said, oh, no, you guys handle security. Again, why? Because they didn't want a headline of Biden sends more troops in Afghanistan, which probably would have been required in order to secure um, Ahmed Karzai Airport if they were going to control the security. So they've now yielded the security to the Taliban on top of the fact that they've handed many a list and manifest of people of interest that they don't want the Taliban to mess with, which is like the dumbest thing this administration has done since they handed a list of things that they really, really wish the Russians wouldn't hack to Vladimir Putin. Uh, it's again, it's hard to you can't parody this. You can't exaggerate this. This is about as dumb as anything. The people at the Babylon Bee and the Onion have to wake up every morning scratching their heads going, how, how do we top reality today? Because reality is just so unbelievably ridiculous. So then let's get back to a more root cause of Afghanistan, right? Like we, we've left people there. That's awful. We left service dogs there. By the way, you know, Muslim extremists, not particularly large fans of members of the canine species. So their lives are going to end tragically and horrifically. So good on the U.S. for leaving those people behind or rather those dogs behind. They served Look, those dogs serve more than I served, so as far as I'm concerned, they're worth the shit. Apparently, our administration doesn't think so. Uh, we left a variety of people there, a lot of U.S. citizens that were just on the ground, apparently just living in Afghanistan, I, I assume somewhat related to military you know, activity there from the U.S. I don't really know what you would be there for otherwise, unless you're like in the opium industry or something, rare earth mineral mining, perhaps. Oh, that's another thing that we could talk about, too, is the complete blunder of us now completely pulling out of this place that has all this opium, all of these rare earth minerals, and guess who's sweeping in there to get their hands on it? If you guess China, well, duh, but also Russia, so it's like a double whammy. There'll probably be other parties that, that hop in there, on top of the fact that the terrorist organizations are already shipping our U.S. military equipment that we left there that wasn't decommissioned to Iran, where Iran will now have our weapons to use against us, lucky us it's a variety of 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 just awful 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 things but uh where was i back at the oh let's get back to the more broad picture here 
why were we in Afghanistan in the first place? Well, it just so happens to be the weekend of the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And uh, uh, look, I'm not going to get into the whole 9-11 thing because that's like a whole show unto itself. And that's not even this show, by the way. Go check out uh, my good friend Billy Ray Valentine on the Infinite Fringe Live on Aftermath FM, uh, also available on any podcatchers. Just type in Infinite Fringe Live. You should find him there. Uh, Again, the host, Billy Ray Valentine, good buddy of mine. He does good work. He's entertaining. He's usually informative as we try to be. Uh, So check him out if you're looking for, you know, 9-11 alternate theories. But I'm not a particular fan of the official narrative. I think there's a lot of holes in it, as is usually the case with a lot of official narratives. And considering how many official narratives have fallen apart before our eyes in the last, I don't know, five years alone, it's kind of hard to take the official narrative on 9-11 seriously. Even now, people are suing to try to figure out the Saudi royal family's involvement in all this sort of stuff. Clearly, there was some sort of involvement because there's all of these records that are classified. So, you know, obviously that's a bit of a, you know, a tip. But um, we, we clearly don't know everything about what happened there if we know anything about what happened there. That said, for the purposes of this conversation about the war in Afghanistan. Let's assume the official narrative is correct, just so that we don't have to get tangled up in what's true, what's not true. What they're saying is true. Let's assume that's true, because it still doesn't really bode all that well for them when you look at it logically and play the whole thing out. For instance, we went to war in Afghanistan to stop a, a war, to stop a terrorism in general but specifically the terror cell Al-Qaeda that was operating in Afghanistan uh, freely, basically, under which was under the rule of the Taliban and just allowing Al-Qaeda to do their thing. Uh, Osama bin Laden was there. He supposedly plotted this whole thing. So we go to fight a war in Afghanistan. We're told, right, we'll fight them over there so that we don't have to fight them here. All right, well, we didn't really fight them when they came here. They kind of just fought us and killed themselves. So there's no real fight going on here on top of the fact that all right if we're fighting them there so that we don't have to fight them here i mean let's start with the cia what are they for aren't they don't they like exist to stop things like 9-11 from happening and again we got to skip over all uh, you know we got to just assume a lot of the uh, the, you know, the official narrative is true here, but, you know, let's assume the CIA didn't have any involvement in this whole thing. Shouldn't they, isn't their entire goal to exist, to collect information overseas to prevent things from, like, 9-11 from happening here in the United States? So we had that in place before we are fighting them over there to keep them from coming here so we don't have to fight them here. Okay, well, then we also created a whole new branch of government, a cabinet-level position that the you know head of Department of Homeland Security, Tom Ridge, former governor of Pennsylvania, was given that um, that distinction. He is now, of course, involved in a litany of you know kind of military contracting and you know in uh, surveillance type of uh, businesses as a private citizen, and is obviously making a boatload of money doing so. So all of that you know, considered. So we created a whole new branch of the executive branch, a whole new sub-branch of the executive branch, the Department of Homeland Security. We further empowered parties like the CIA, who failed us already, uh, and the NSA and other intelligence agencies through the Patriot Act to be able to expand their capabilities to once again prevent the 9-11. We also created the TSA, or at least amped up police security much more broadly across the country, preventing things like a 9-11 
from happening, presumably. So you've got all of these various layers of protection. And you mean to tell me that the thing that's really stopping 9-11 is having like 2,000 troops in Afghanistan guarding opium fields? Yeah, I'm sorry. It just doesn't add up. Like at the end of the day, if the Department of Homeland Security is doing their job, if the Patriot Act's working, if the TSA's doing their job, we don't need to fight them over there to fight them over here. We got that covered without putting any boots on the ground anywhere else. Now, that said, a lot of people have made the comment, and it's valid, that, yeah, we had kind of like a skeleton crew over in Afghanistan. We hadn't had a combat death there in almost 18 months before, obviously, this this horrific pullout where we lost, I believe, t- about 20 um, members of the armed service, if I'm not mistaken, and, and dozens more injured on top of that because the whole operation was sloppy from beginning then. Uh, another difference between the Trump pullout and the Biden pullout is that Trump smartly was intending on getting the special visa people, the American citizens, uh, civilians on the on the ground out, getting all those people, you know, starting to move out of the country before we start getting all of the military out. Because once you pulled some of the military out and then tried to scoop together all these people, well, you had less military on the ground in order to go around and scoop up all these people, which made security more difficult, which made a variety of different things more difficult, which resulted in the Biden administration having to put more troops back in there to basically put a bullet, you know, a Band-Aid on this massive bullet hole. Then, obviously, like I've talked about, we've left a variety of people behind, service dogs, uh, men and women uh, that were on the ground. There were students, like California schools, for whatever reason, were taking field trips to Afghanistan for the just the sheer audacity of virtue signaling. I can't imagine any other reason why you would be taking field trips to Afghanistan but nevertheless, there was there was like a couple of California schools that had students on the ground that when we pulled up wheels up on August 31st, they were still there. There was like a three year old U.S. citizen that was there that the government was basically saying, you know, at a certain point when the, it can't be the government's fault. So they kept blaming the people on the ground. Well, we're calling people. They're not returning our calls. We assume they want to stay. Maybe maybe that's maybe that's a really dumb assumption. I mean, I understand that it makes it very difficult to try to track them down, but I I mean to assume that they want to stay in a eighth century shithole with a bunch of fucking camel jockeys, probably a dumb assumption. Just I don't know. Call me crazy. And of course, because you know, the, again, the government can't be at fault. They got to blame the people on the ground, and then they make statements like this was a success. This was a a, a revolutionary, you know, unbelievable event. This was the world's greatest, you know, human airlift and all this sort of stuff. I mean, God, you know, Peter Ducey, to his credit, of uh, Fox News, it's one of the few people at Fox News I'll give any credit to these days. It's pretty much him and Tucker and Bongino. Uh, Katie Pavlich is on there. I don't really consider her a Fox News person. I just consider her more because of the town hall is where I, I read her more often than not. But nevertheless, handful of people over there. Peter Ducey, is the son of Steve Ducey, who is the least interesting person on Fox and Friends. And as a result, he got a job over there. And then when the Biden administration took over, he somehow ended up being the White House you know, press room correspondent. So here he is, the only person in the room asking any sort of difficult questions. And he asks, you know, Jen Psaki, Ginger Goebbels herself, what, you know, how, how does the administration respond to people saying that this was a, an abject disaster and she starts to spew all this nonsense about, well, we lifted, uh, you know, we got 100,000 or blah, blah, blah people out of there, Peter. I would call that a success. 
okay, if you shoot yourself in the leg and manage to, like, fashion a Band-Aid out of, you know, nearly nothing and you, you know, patch up your leg, that's not a success. You, you, you still have a gaping wound in your leg. You just manage to bandage it in some miraculous fashion. That's not a success overall. I mean, ultimately, it could be worse, I guess. You could have bled to death. I, I mean, I guess, like, the Taliban could have, like, killed more people, but they didn't, so... You know, overall, it's a success, guys. We hadn't had a combat death there in 18 months. We lost about 18 people in about 18 minutes. Uh, not not a good overall success rate, I would say, given everything that went on uh, and that, that we know would have been different under Trump. And, uh, you know, when I say that the Taliban was scared of Trump, I'm not, like, just pulling that out of my ass. Uh, I forget the representative's name, but he's a representative from Utah. He was on the blaze. He was involved in some of these conversations. He was even in the room when Trump was talking with some of these, you know, Taliban members or whatever the case may be. And uh, and and he said, like, you know, they're, they're like, yes, sir, no, sir, to Trump because they know. Again, they know, like, Trump's not going to go bomb a cave or bomb a camp. He's going to bomb them. He's going to kill them if they fuck with Trump. It's the, the you know— the, the subtle beauty of having a madman at the helm is that everyone else is equally worried about what he might do. And for the most part, despite what the media might tell you, most of what he did clearly was in the interest of the United States. Everything from the tariffs on China to the, to the you know, um, the, the travel restrictions to, to moves like the Abraham Accords to bombing Soleimani to, to releasing, even though he was tricked into it, rather than going full bore into Syria releasing one big bomb and like blowing up one camp and just kind of, you know, given given the world's biggest warning shot rather than just going, you know, headlong into it and dropping 10,000 troops on the ground in Syria. He handled it in his very Trumpy way. And I think in the long run, it's going to be really hard to argue that his foreign policy was anything other than stellar and suggest that the Biden administration did it about as well as anyone could do it is just it, it involves an ignorance at the level of a Biden voter, I suppose. I don't know. I mean, at this point, if you're a Biden voter and you don't have buyer's remorse, I don't know what to tell you. There's no hope for you. There never will be hope for you. I I can't encourage self-harm, but let me just say I'm not not encouraging self-harm. I think that's about as close as I can get. In related news, before I move on from Afghanistan, uh, our State Department is upset that the Taliban government doesn't have enough women in it. Um, they're going to be really surprised if they end up moving this argument over to the LGBTQ community. But yeah, our State Department is just dumb enough to either A, think that the Taliban were going to let women in the government, or B, to, to pretend that... They're dumb enough to think that the Taliban was going to let women in the government. You know, like, I mean, it's they're either dumb enough to actually think it or for some reason they're trying to portray that they were dumb enough to actually think it because no one no one thought that. Absolutely no one thought for a even a second that the Taliban were going to have like a few women in the government. No one. Zero people. But we're supposed to, like, be outraged because they didn't because they said that they would give women's rights even though women rights, even though they did go on to suggest that that would be within the bounds of Sharia, which basically means they don't have any rights. So, you know, our State Department is either really dumb or really dumb at pretending how dumb they are. It's not good. There's not a whole lot of good stuff to report 
out of the really the executive branch as a whole and I mean government largely. The Supreme Court's maybe a little bit done something nice, but even when the government when the Supreme Court does something good, it basically means that they didn't do anything. That's our best case scenario with really government across the board is that they didn't do anything. This is when people complain about the gridlock in our system and oh we got gridlock in a, you know Congress and the House and they can't get anything good. Good. They they never do anything good. Why do we want them to do things? Stop doing things. They had the best, you know, governmental document in the history of the world, and they've slowly chipped away at its awesomeness over the course of time. Stop it. No more. Don't do anything. Start repealing some of the stupid shit you did. If you wanted, if you really must do things, let's start going backwards a little bit. And I don't mean, you know, like things like civil rights and voting and blah, blah, blah. I mean, like, you know, like welfare systems and like, you know, things along those lines. Let, Let's let's you know let's get libel and slander back into the regular vocabulary and for that matter legal jargon and maybe we could start you know fact checking the fact checkers that uh, wouldn't know a fucking fact if it in fact check them during a hockey game. So nevertheless, uh, abortion, the Supreme Court. I was teasing it a little bit. They didn't do something recently, which is awesome. As I just talked about, they were basically. You know, uh, given the opportunity, I guess, to hear a case based on um, SB 8, State Senate Bill 8 down in Texas, which later passed and is uh, basically a, a, a very, very the most pro-life bill in the country right now. It's a it's a six week heartbeat bill basically saying that women can't get abortions after a detectable heartbeat is, uh you know, is, is detectable, basically. Um, so r- roughly about six weeks. Um, this is very radical. The Supreme Court didn't take it, but mostly because of procedural grounds. So they will eventually hear a case about this, I'm sure, eventually. Um, there's a couple of elements as to how this will end up in the Supreme Court. One is that any affected party, once there's an actual injury or a proclaimed injury by a specific person and lawsuits start working their way up through the court system, that, that you know, so if a woman is trying to get an abortion she can't because of this law she could sue this can work its way up through you know appellate court blah 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 and then get its way to the supreme court another way that this could work is that technically speaking the law enforcement in texas isn't really enforcing this law it's really more of a civil matter where i as a resident of texas if i were one could basically sue a woman or a doctor who was attempting to get and or providing an abortion to a woman who had, you know, a, a, a fetus with a detectable heartbeat or had been pregnant for at least six weeks. It's not so much a criminal thing so much as it's like I could sue you for $10,000. So it's almost like a bounty. Um, these lawsuits could very well work their way up to the Supreme Court, at, at which point the uh, constitutionality of the law will be examined. And that's when you get to everyone freaking out about whether or not this could potentially lead to the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Now, it would take, again, another procedural thing. Somebody would have to actually make a formal challenge and kind of work their way up for it to get to the Supreme Court. Um, that said, uh, I think there's also a uh, there's a law in Mississippi, I believe, that is similar to this one. I think it's a little bit later, 10 weeks, 12 weeks, whatever it is, 8 weeks. Um, but it's not quite as strict as the Texas law. Uh, but there are some things to note about even the Texas law, as strict as it might be. 
first and foremost, and don't let anyone tell you otherwise, because this is just nonsense. You hear this all the time about all these uh, restrictions on abortion, all these potential laws being passed by largely red states, is that, oh, well, what about the life of the mother? There is virtually 99.99999% of these laws always built in an exception if there is a risk to the life of the mother, always. Like, uh, like again, 99.99999. It, it, there are virtually no of these no laws in this manner that say no. We've got to save the baby over the mother. None of them. It, it, it never happens. It's always a talking point. Every time you look it up, it turns out to be a very specific exclusion written out multiple times in these bills just to drive it home. So that said, um, that is that is a thing. Having said that, we have uh, there is no exception for rape or incest. Um, I'm a little bit on the fence about this one. Uh, having said that, you know, obviously I'm not a woman, so I, I'm speaking from a certain place of like, I'm never going to really have to deal with this. That said, I do raise a daughter, so who knows, knock on wood, hopefully I don't have to deal with anything like this, uh, or she doesn't, uh, cause it's not really me dealing with it. Um, but that said, it's, uh, it's, it's tricky with the, you know, the situation with rape and incest. That said, and I keep saying that said, cause I'm trying to get to this point is, a. I had a conversation about this very topic with my girlfriend a while back, probably about a year ago, and she made a really brilliant point that I never thought about because I'm, I've shifted over time on my thoughts about abortion. I'm more strict now than I probably have ever been in my life. Uh, but there were points of time where like exceptions like rape and incest, exceptions like, you know, there, there, there was kind of like here and there, maybe if it was early enough on in the pregnancy or, you know, where does plan B fall into all this sort of stuff? These are the nuances of the argument that if you're remotely passionate about the topic, you have to talk to yourself about it. You have to, you know, figure out where you stand on it. And I kind of came down to the fact where like plan B to me is about as far as I'm willing to go, mostly because it, it kind of stops the process before it ever really starts. It's no different to me than birth control. Um, so I, in, in, in that way, it's about as liberal as I get on this thing. And my girlfriend said to me, "Well, you know, like if you, you know, if I got raped, I would take Plan B, like right away." And yeah, there are a lot of instances out there where maybe you were drugged or whatever, and you don't know. But I'm pretty sure you'd at least wake up and suspect, right? Like, I, and I'm not suggesting that we should be handing Plan B out like it's Skittles either. But we're talking about extraordinarily rare circumstances. And in those circumstances, there still are other options that don't result in like a life being formed before we stamp it out. At least we can maybe stop it from ever happening like a birth control or a con any contraceptive would have done in its own right. But ultimately, here's the problem with this whole argument is that this argument as a whole has shifted drastically in the last 10, 15, 20 years, which is I think a lot of why I've focused on it more and why my opinions on it have shifted over time because I'm looking at the opposition. I think all of us know at the end of the day, even the diehardest of diehard pro-choice people will acknowledge, like, I mean, under different circumstances, we all acknowledge that's a life in there. If you or your friend calls you and tells you she's pregnant, we don't all go, all right, well, call me when you push that clump of cells out of your uterus, you fucking blah, blah, blah. You know, no one does that. Everyone immediately recognizes that's a life. The only thing that makes it not a life is the lack of recognition, which is really more of a moral fault of the people not recognizing the life than it is the life itself. So if one of our lives should end, it probably shouldn't be the innocent one. Yeah, no, just throwing that out there. So I look at my opposition and they 
they constantly, you know, if you if you're pro life, they immediately assume you're some sort of like Bible thumping, Jesus loving, you know, lunatic. Which you know, you know, if you are, hats off to you. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I don't fault anybody for their faith at the end of the day. But uh, that isn't where a lot of us are coming from. Like a lot of us are not devout Catholics or devout Christians that that think that you know, because Christ or God or blah, blah, blah. Like, no, I really, I come from it from a scientific place. That's a genetic code that is unique. It's a life that is new and should be in all possible ways preserved. By the way, our Constitution agrees with me. Even in the preamble itself, it suggests that we, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, and promote the general general welfare uh, for ourselves and our posterity do ordain and establish the United States of the Const- the United States Con- this Constitution for the United States of America. Sorry, got a little uh, tongue tied at the end, but yes, ourselves and our posterity means that we are here to preserve these inalienable rights that were mentioned in the Declaration: life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That we are here meant to protect, you know, people, our, our citizens, our homeland, our creed, our way of life, and that in includes the unborn because and we're all unborn at one point if we if our rights don't begin at our conception then when do they begin and when do they end the second you come through the birth canal what about a c-section oh well a certain number of weeks oh well you know viability is different depending on different circumstances the health of the mother the quality of the medical care there there's no real objective way to determine when a life begins other than at conception and even in this texas bill Obviously, we can't determine the second it was conceived, so you get six weeks. You know, even as far as Texas is concerned, that's pretty lenient. And yeah, you get the argument of, oh, well, most women don't know, blah, 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 blah. I mean, like, did did you know if somebody came in you? I mean, like, that's, you know, again, we're talking about 99 point, you know, 98.5% of the cases, as a matter of fact, are not due to rape and incest. So it's largely due to some form of carelessness. Whether it be the man's, the woman's, or both. Whether it be alcohol-induced, drug-induced, completely sober-minded. Whether it's teenage hormones or something more nefarious even, but not necessarily, you know, rape or incest. Either way, we're talking 98.5% of these cases, that's why the abortion is being done. Not because of rape, not because of incest. If we were talking about this one5 I think most even pro-lifers would be willing to have that conversation. But because our opponents make every excuse conceivably for why it's okay to kill a baby up until and possibly even including after birth, yeah, I'm sorry. I can't take your opinion seriously. You're morally corrupt. You're inept. I, I can't even have a conversation with you. As a matter of fact, I have difficulty looking you in the eye. I, yeah, I'm, I'm worried I might turn to stone. You're some sort of fucking demon. I, it is... It is quite disgusting on 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 a variety of fronts so um if if we can get a more ration tone from our opponents my opinions might get less and less radical but until they start making some sense of it over there which they can't seem to i i have to oppose them at every conceivable turn because it is so obvious to me that the things they're saying and doing are completely bereft of any sort of morality that I think you and I and any rational, you know, compassionate person would be comfortable with. So, um, yeah, good for Texas, good for Mississippi. I hope these laws 
stay in place, obviously. And look, you're in Texas. You could still go to Oklahoma or go to Arizona or whatever it is and go get your abortion if you're so desperate to go get one. But um, it's just not going to be happening in Texas. And we'll see if that ends up hurting Governor Abbott. His reelection uh, bid is coming up. He's He's had some moments here. He's had some bad ones. He's had some good ones. He's gotten some good press. He's gotten some bad press. It depends on which side of the aisle you're on and where you're getting your press from as usual. But uh, there are even some Republican challengers to Governor Abbott that, you know, conceivably, that might be the best best case scenario for the Republicans is to get new Republican blood in there, somebody who doesn't have the stain of all the COVID stuff with him, and, uh, and then they can ride with the new Republican. All right, let's move on to uh, the COVID stuff. Let's get into ivermectin. Uh, I have one link in the show notes for you this week. I mean, obviously, there's the links to my social media and the merch store and blah, blah, blah. But the one link of prominence that's specific to this week is the link to the ivermectin study website. I believe it's c19ivermectin.com. It is tracking right now about 63 studies worldwide of this particular drug and its use in relation to COVID-19. A variety of these trials have shown efficacy in terms of reducing symptoms, reducing uh, viral load, reducing spread, reducing uh, really deaths, hospitalizations, even infections across the board. It is a wonder drug. And you're being told that it's horse dewormer and that, that yes, this drug is used as an antiparasitic both in humans and in animals. And yes, this, animal, this particular drug is available in some extraordinarily high non-medical, non-human doses that you could find at your local farm supply or pet shop. But no, no one, and the rock means no one, is telling you to go to fucking PetSmart and pick up drugs and ingest them into your body for the purposes of fighting a disease that you don't even have yet. And if you do have it and you're going to PetSmart, one might suggest that maybe you should have quarantined or that maybe you're going to be just fine and you should fucking chill before you start ingesting crazy drugs from PetSmart or the local farm depot, whatever. None of this is good. No one is suggesting, by the way, that no one, not not Trump, not any Republican, not Tucker Carlson, not fucking Alex Jones, no one on the right or on uh, in in team unwoke is suggesting that you go take these drugs under any circumstances other than if they're prescribed to you by a doctor you want to go take some vitamins go for it they're over the counter you, there's entire stores dedicated to the selling of vitamins go nuts vitamin c vitamin d zinc whatever you think is going to make you you know, safe, make sure you don't overdose on some of these supplements. You can potentially do that. Don't do that. And then, you know, maybe you're better off. Maybe you're not. But you have every right to take those things. If When it comes to medication, unless you're, you know, you're, you're rolling the dice with some sort of recreational thing, don't take drugs your doctor isn't giving to you. And if you go to your doctor and you're like, oh, well, you know, I think I got COVID. He tests you and you have COVID. And you say, well, what about ivermectin? And he says, I don't think you should take ivermectin. It's probably a good idea that you don't take ivermectin. He'll probably give you something else. Maybe he'll give you azithromycin with hydroxychloroquine. Maybe he'll give you a fucking blank piece of paper until you go home and eat some chicken soup, you baby. 
that, you know, there's a variety of different things and treatments that they could give you. If you're really bad, they could give you the monoclonal antibodies. If you're really bad, you, they'll throw you on a ventilator. You know, there's, there's a whole range of different things that you can do, including nothing. Like, there's a good chance that you might get this thing. You might have very mild symptoms. You're just going to have to kick it at home and watch some Netflix for a few days. Boo, frickety hoo. No one feels bad for you. You didn't survive some, you know, crazy disease. You, you know, if you're, and I've said this a million times just so I could be perfectly clear about the vaccines too for the bajillionth time now. If you're in a high risk category, I think you should go get this thing. If you're 50 plus, maybe even 40 plus, and you have, I mean, well, first and foremost, 50 plus, period. If you're 50 plus, I think you should consider this. Am I saying you should get it? No, I'm saying you should consider it. Talk to your doctor. Talk to friends who have gotten it. Talk to, you know, talk to your resources, whatever they may be. WebMD. Frankly, I don't really want to send you to the internet because there's no, there's nowhere on the internet you're going to find negative information about this vaccine, basically. That's, that, that's in any way credible in a way that you would feel comfortable making medical decisions based on. You might find some crackpot post on 8Coon or whatever the fuck. But, yeah, unfortunately, the powers that be are not going to let you find any serious information about the lack of efficacy or side effects. Uh, VAERS is about the closest thing, V-A-E-R-S. I believe it's some sort of vaccine, um, you know, side effect database. That's that's an official, like, I think it's a .gov kind of thing. So it's official out there. How much that's being manipulated, I don't know. Uh, But that's about as close to anything you'll get as far as, like, real serious data on side effects from these vaccines. But if you're 50 plus, if you're obese, if you have a pre-existing condition that's particularly respiratory related or immune related, yeah, go really think about getting this vaccine. As for the rest of us, we should have no mandates, which is going to get to my last topic here. But it it ties perfectly in with the ivermectin thing is that why are they shitting on ivermectin? Because they're so gung-ho about the vaccines. Now, I'm not one of these people that thinks like the vaccine's going to give, you know, it's a chip or it's a 5G thing or it's a, it's a, you know, they're trying to thin the population. I'm not necessarily convinced of any of those theories. I'm not also entirely unopposed to any of them because there does seem to be some weird, nefarious push about this virus. And it's not like a big pharma thing. They got paid already. The government paid them already during the R&D and the development of these, vi- of these vaccines. They're paid for And you can't tell me that it's the government making sure they got their money's worth on an investment on our behalf because it would be the first time in the course of human history that that's ever happened. So, you know, why are they so gung-ho about getting these things in people's arms if there isn't some sort of nefarious thing going on here? Because if everybody's covered that needs to be covered, the rest of us don't need to be covered. Yeah, these vaccines are pretty leaky, but they still are doing a, a fairly good job as far as reducing hospitalizations, reducing deaths, reducing symptoms, reducing spread. So, you know, if everybody who's worried and and vulnerable gets the vaccine, then the rest of us shouldn't be forced to do anything, especially when there's things like ivermectin on the table and things like hydroxychloroquine on the table and things like Regeneron, the, the monoclonal antibodies thing. There's a variety of different things that you can treat this with, even if you get it and even if you do show some symptoms, which gets me to Joe Rogan. Because obviously all the Twitter libs and the academ- academics and the, the, you know, the, the politicos and everybody was 
had their you know fingers crossed hoping Joe Rogan would die because he got COVID. Uh, he wasn't vaccinated, I don't believe, or maybe he was. I've kind of seen mixed reports about it. I probably should have checked that before I started talking here, but Rogan wasn't even in my notes. I'm just kind of rolling with this one. Everyone was excited that, you know, he got COVID. Oh, my God, he got COVID. He kept saying it wasn't such a big deal, and now he's got it, and I hope he dies. That was most of uh, the Internet for the two days that Joe Rogan had coronavirus. He got over it in two days. He uh, had an Instagram, or three days maybe, made a little Instagram post, hey, I tested positive. I got to delay my show. I went immediately to my doctor. We threw the kitchen sink at it. So everybody immediately starts calling Joe Rogan out. Oh, well, I thought it wasn't a big deal. Why'd you throw the kitchen sink at it, man? I thought it was just a flu, blah, 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 blah. Well, all right. Joe's like not young, but Joe's in phenomenal shape. I mean, yeah, other than maybe a little weed and a little whiskey from time to time, the guy treats his body like a temple. I mean, we can all see that. We all know his workout regimen. We all know the, the type of work he's put in to uh to his body over the course of time all the supplements all the fucking he's doing everything like our, i'm sure he's doing acupuncture and fucking you know pilates and yoga and god knows all the different mmas and stuff like they get the guy clearly cares about his health so he was probably going to be fine without all of these things but he's a working man he's got a daily podcast he's got he's on tour right now doing his comedy tour every day the joe rogan is positive of COVID is a day that Joe Rogan can't be Joe Rogan, and that means Joe Rogan's not making Joe Rogan money that day. So, yes, for all the idiots out there going, well, why did he throw the kitchen sink at? Because he needed to get back on tour. He needed to get back into the studio. He didn't want to put Jamie's life at risk. You know, everybody who's watched the show knows Jamie's the, uh, the in-house Google machine. But, um, yeah, he's got a life to do, like get back to. He's got a family he wants to spend time with. He doesn't want to be secluded from them for weeks on end. And sure enough, he took Regeneron. He took a vitamin drip. He took a zinc drip, or he took a, the Z-Pack, rather. Uh, and he took Ivermectin. So, obviously, now CNN is reporting Joe Rogan takes horse dewormer. Joe has floated the idea of suing CNN, and I think that could be a revolutionary game-changing thing in society, and I hope he does. My God, CNN really needs to take an L and a really big and public one that not even they and their colleagues in the leftist mainstream media can cover up. Joe Rogan handing CNN their ass in the court because they decided to make the claim that he was out here telling people to take horse dewormer. Yeah, that's going to be just magnificent. So I hope he does, in fact, sue. So, You've got the ivermectin thing. It appears to be working in a lot of cases. More specifically, is it not only is it not dewormer. Look, I'm not a doctor. I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not a pharmacist. I don't know definitively that it's doing anything. I know that there's a lot of studies of which I've linked you to them in the show notes this week. So you can go read them yourself. I know that this is a drug that, yes, again, is used to deworm horses and things along those lines. But it is also used in human medical use for a variety of different things it was originally an anti-parasitic things like you know like ringworm and like a river blindness and like cra crazy kind of random diseases that were parasite related but like many medications somewhere between 15 and 40 percent of medications are or are, are prescriptions rather are written off label or, or off you know purpose basically for a drug that is meant for a but is being prescribed for b this happens all the time, like at least 20% of the time, doctors, when they write prescriptions, are not writing a prescription for a particular drug for its particular main intended purpose. There might be peripheral reasons that they might be writing it for, and that happens 
all the time. Like doctors go to school and learn all the things that they learn about these medicines in order to be able to make these judgment calls based on a particular patient and what they might need. Joe Rogan, I can assure you, like I mentioned before, probably takes care, better care of his body than you do. And I can assure you, Joe Rogan did not just open up a phone book and find a doctor and go waltzing in there and be like, hey, doc, what should I take for all of this? Why don't you just throw everything at me? Like Joe Rogan has done more research on his doctor than you've probably done on anything. Um, so, yeah, it's a guy he trusts. I'm sure he's gotten multiple opinions because he's had so many doctors on his show that he just can pick up the phone and say, hey, doc, you know, X, Y, and Z, this is what my doctor's telling me, what do you think? The guy got way too many medical opinions for any of you idiots out there to think that you know better than he does. Now, might the ivermectin work for you? I don't know. Did it work for him? We don't know. He took so many fucking things, we don't know what worked, but we know it worked because in three days, he tested negative. So, all the calls for hoping Joe Rogan died and Joe Rogan took de you know horse dewormer very quickly quieted down when three days later he just magically popped back up and was fine, like nothing had ever happened to him. That part seems to be left out of all the stories. Could have been the ivermectin? Maybe. I don't know. A gun to my head? Probably. And the reason I say that is getting back to the ivermectin itself before I kind of wrap this up because I, I kind of already touched on the vaccine mandates. Um, I don't think they're going to ultimately be held up as constitutional because there's other therapeutics and there's not enough great enough risk for everybody to have to freak out and pump an experimental drug into their system, particularly when it comes to kids. That said, uh, the ivermectin itself, not only is it used in humans and not only is it used as a parasitic, but it is used as an antiviral in a lot of cases. In fact, as you probably have heard by now, it won uh, the researchers using ivermectin won the Nobel Prize in 2015 for its uses in antivirals, particularly in in uh, stopping the replication of RNA viruses in the human body. Sounds like that might be pretty useful, considering we have a pandemic that's centered around a human RNA-based respiratory virus. But no, we shouldn't be using this. It's horse dewormer, guys. It's not like a wonder drug that we can make really cheap and has been approved for human use for decades. No, it's none of those things. It's definitely just horse dewormer. It's just, it's so dumb. And who's doing this? Yeah, I mean, they well, the Rolling Stones story completely fell apart, right? I'm sure you guys saw this, is that Rachel Maddow and everyone was jumping out over their skis because Rolling Stone reported that gunshot victims in Oklahoma have to wait because of so many COVID cases, or, or, or not even COVID cases, because of ivermectin overdoses from people in Oklahoma who apparently everyone seems to think are just dumb enough to where it's believable that they all ran to their local farm depot and downed a bunch of ivermectin that was meant to dehorse, uh, dethrone their, uh, dethrone, de deworm their horse. Um, but yeah, it turns out that story was complete bunk. Uh, the tweet is still up by Rachel Maddow. The story's still up by Rolling Stone. That They've corrected it, but it's still obviously grossly inaccurate given the original context. Um, yeah, this isn't, this isn't a thing. This isn't really happening. Uh, people are not running to the store to go do this. Might there be a handful of people that have done it? Sure. I have no doubt. Uh, might there be a lot more calls to poison control as a result of it? Oh yeah, for sure. There's definitely people calling now asking questions to poison control because the news is telling them that everyone's taken this fucking, you know, horse dewormer that they think that they could just go pick up at PetSmart 
and uh, and they'll be better and the, they don't have to worry about a vaccine or the Rona or any of these things. So, yeah, I'm sure people are calling and asking a few questions about this whole thing. Uh, at the end of the day, obviously, this is not a big problem. Uh, and if we recall, the first time that this happened, this was with the hydroxychloroquine, the woman who gave her husband the uh, the koi pond cleaner that had hydroxychloroquine in it, also available at PetSmart, one would assume. Um, turns out that she might have been trying to kill her husband, and she was a radical liberal who not only was a radical liberal, but regularly donated to, I think it's called the 318 Project, which is a project for the pro-science resistance, not particularly science-based in her decision-making when trying to kill her husband, allegedly. Anyway, that's it. So yeah, the mandates, the the ivermectin, obviously those two play hand-in-hand. We can't have therapeutics. If there's therapeutics, then the uh, then even the Pfizer FDA approval for the vaccine, it's like sort of sort of no, right? Like we, we even though it's been approved, even though weirdly enough, the Pfizer vaccine is like the you know it's the leakier of the two mRNA vaccines. It appears, but it got it got the approval, and uh, we'll see what about now. Boosters are the hot new hotness. I'll talk about those, I'm sure, in a future episode because they ain't going away. Saw a really horrifying meme on Twitter. Uh, where somebody basically said, you know, now they've turned your immune system into a subscription service. And that is terrifying um, for you because I'm not quite on that service yet. And I don't anticipate being even with Biden's new thing. I don't think that's going to necessarily affect me at work. We're going to knock on wood just to make sure. But uh, I might be in the clear for now and, you know, kind of find another job. It's going to suck. I actually kind of enjoy my office. I like the people I work with. But, uh, you know, we'll see how it goes if this ultimately ends up actually getting, um, you know, put in place in any serious enforceable way, which I have my doubts will actually happen. Because let's face it, this administration, not particularly good at anything. So I, I got my doubts that they're going to be able to even get the things that they want done that I would hate with a fiery burning passion. But that's about it. We're almost at an hour here. I'm going to close things up here by doing my usual reminders. You know, check out the links in the show notes, the ivermectin link. Uh, the merch link, the social media links, the email, the affiliate podcast networks, and all that good stuff. Check it all out. Down there, I'm a little exhausted. I don't really feel like rambling it all off for you, but it is there in black and white, and in some cases, blue with an underline. Those are links. You can click on those, but uh, seems like as good a time as any to just remind you that opinions are like assholes. Everybody's got one, but this asshole has the right opinion, and you can only get it right here on the Right Opinion Podcast. I'm Harrison Bergeron, and I'll talk to you guys next time. Peace. Be the elephant in the room in a room full of elephants. Be the elephant in the room in a room full of elephants. Boom. Boom.